Okay. Yes. So um, welcome everyone to the um, the podcast. I wanted to have uh, two um, graduate of the program uh, talk about uh, projects that they've been working on. A quite interesting project, I must say. I'm going to have Ben Durkee and Mitzella Mitzella graduating from Master in Financial Engineering at Lehigh to discuss and not so much present, but discuss and lay out some of the um, some of the projects uh, that they've worked on uh, specifically. I will let you let them describe to you what these uh, type of quant projects that we are undertaking. So, um, no further ado. Ben, why don't you start in telling us a little bit about the project? Yeah, thanks, Professor. So just as an introduction, uh, Mattel and I have been working with a company called Inca Digital. Our sponsor is a, is a Lehigh alum who's been helping us work on some projects related to the crypto space. What Inca Digital does is provide uh, essentially a terminal to access data feeds that have uh, a lot to do with the different crypto markets whether it's pulling data from uh, you know, third-party sources directly from on-chain data, and all this is sort of aggregated into the platform uh, that is known as the Nakamoto Terminal that we've been able to use uh, in our own research-based projects. So for my projects, a lot of what I did was looking at the trading volume data. Uh, so essentially the, the, the volume of certain cryptocurrencies that are uh, in each individual transaction and looking at these trading volumes, accumulating them, and then performing a statistical analysis on the digit distributions of those trading volumes. So um, for those who aren't familiar with a concept called Benford's law, in a large random data set, the data or the first and second digits of these data sets should follow a particular logarithmic distribution. Um, so if we take this assumption and assume that these trading volumes are random, uh, we should be able to see that they line up according to this random distribution. Um, and using that, what we can do is we can prove that these exchanges are honestly reporting their trading volumes. So one of the issues that's been in the industry for, for a number of years is that some of these exchanges will self-publish their, their trading volumes inaccurately, whether that's because they're rounding their data values or because they're inflating their numbers to try to uh, show that they have more liquidity on their exchange than they actually do. So with this data analysis, we're able to sort of check on the exchanges uh, to make sure that they're self-reporting honestly. And so for my specific research topic, uh, I worked with our sponsor, Nick Gans, on a proposal to look at three exchanges, be Coinbase, Pro, Binance, and HitBTC. And we looked at a set of four spot pairs. Um, so that's Bitcoin to USD, Ethereum to USD, um, Bitcoin Cash to USD, and Ethereum to uh, Bitcoin spot pairs. And so from that analysis, we pulled all the trading volumes using a built-in function uh, that Inca provided to me that would pull all of these trading volumes and organize them into groups by the either leading or second digit. Um, and those, those were performed using an SPL query in the, in the program, in the search windows. And so from there, we organized all the data um, and we performed 
a very basic statistical analysis on the deviations of these digits from our theoretical random distribution. Uh, and what we found was that for certain exchanges in certain months and for certain coins or certain spot pairs, uh, there were particularly large deviations from what is theory, our theoretically correct random distribution. Um, one of the issues we had with these uh, with this data analysis was that it was tough to say what was statistically significant and what wasn't just based on the enormity of the data sets um, and what would be considered our, our critical values in, in uh, statistical significance. One of the other issues was dealing with a heteroscedastic uh, data set where the deviations would become larger for, say, uh, the digits one, two, three, for example, are much more common based on the logarithmic distribution. Um, so we'd expect those uh, deviations from our theoretically random value to be much larger. Um, so you can think of a least squares regression line, the errors become much wider as we move up and down the line. Um, it's a good, a good way to sort of think about it. Um, and so from that, we sort of pulled out a few notable deviations. Um, we found that the least reliable exchange was actually hit BTC, um, and it had a few specific anomalies uh, relative to our theoretically random values. So, for example, in the month of May, we found that uh, the Bitcoin to USD trading volumes uh, were heavily, uh, there were significant errors in that month for hit BTC. And so from there, the second part of the project was to really dig into some of these, what we could call errors. Um, and what we found was that there's some pretty interesting things going on. So for example, we found that HitBTC had uh, what we'd call a statistically significant or based on our analysis, a, a rather large deviation from what the digit distribution should have been. So digging into that, I pulled up uh, week by week, distributions for HitBTC, Binance, and Coinbase Pro in May for, for Bitcoin. And what I found was actually that um, in the original analysis, the, the digit six appeared a lot more often than it should have been based on a random distribution. And what I found was that even though the analysis for Coinbase Pro and Binance was not statistically significant, or at least in our eyes, um, for, for the month of May, when I pulled up the individual distributions for May, all three exchanges had deviations for digit six or for digit five. And even though it wasn't significant for the other exchanges, it still made me question what was actually going on. So that was something that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, and when I pulled up another analysis, I pulled up the leading digit distribution um, for trading volumes month by month for a 12 month period um, on the Bitcoin to USD spot on hit BTC. And what I found was that the digit three appeared a lot more often than it should have been on a theoretically random distribution. But when I plotted this over a 12 month period, the distribution of the threes actually looked somewhat normal. So in other words, the percentage of threes occurring in these trading volume sets month by month actually increased up to a, a peak and then decreased almost like a smooth distribution over time. So for me, that made me question whether this was actually a truly, or what, what the reason behind this error was. Um, and so my 
original thought was that, you know, this was some sort of fraud that they were rounding or, or whatever it might be. Um, but my second thought was actually that based on the prices of certain assets and the typical trade size uh, in terms of actual monetary value, um, that ratio would change based on the, the asset price. So as the asset price changes, uh, certain digits are much more likely to occur, assuming that the average consumer continues to make a transaction that's the exact same monetary value. But the amount of the coin, the volume of the coin traded would actually change. So it's a kind of theoretical concept, but I mean, based on the certain deviations that I witnessed, definitely seems like a possibility. I think the question now is really, can I dig into that a little bit more and see, is it possible to find a correlation between, you know, these digit distributions and then, you know, how much the average consumer is, is buying or selling in terms of. So are you saying it was tied to the asset itself? No, nothing outside. I mean, it was just. So, so uh, in this one example, I looked at the, the, uh, the percentage of the trading volumes that were leading with the digit three over the course of a 12 month period. So broken out month by month uh, for Bitcoin to USD on the hit BTC exchange. And so theoretically this should hover around a certain value uh, plus or minus an error term uh, based on a theoretically random expectation of what these trading volumes should be. So from this, it makes it almost seem like we can't even use Benford's law to assess the reliability of these exchanges because certain um, human factors would make the trading volume not follow random distribution. So people who are trading on certain exchanges might be willing or more willing to trade a certain amount of crypto, trade a certain amount of, of Bitcoin uh, based on its price. And then because of that, because of that relationship to the actual price of the asset and the amount of the amount of you know USD, for example, that they're willing to trade, uh, you know, that relationship with the digits would would uh, appear like it does. And then as the price of Bitcoin changes, you know, the 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 percentage of uh, trades that start with the three would increase and then begin to decrease according to a certain distribution. Uh, similar to what I saw. It's an interesting concept. It's very theoretical. Um, but I think the main takeaway here is that, you know, the, the amount of, the, amount of uh, the size of a, of a trade, of a transaction, is not as random as I would have expected it to be. And then sort of the, the secondhand effect of can we actually use this this, uh, this fraud test, which is widely used in accounting, um, and things like that to test fraud, uh, whether that's actually applicable to the, the crypto trade volumes. Sam, how about you? Yes, um, thank you very much, Professor. Um, I think this was a very interesting project for one. Um, it was two facets to it. Um, as, as, as Benjamin has, has clearly went the statistical route uh, in terms of um, using Splunk. One of the key concepts within the very same project was also using Splunk as well as uh, its natural language processing capabilities to actually create dashboards, um, which was one of the key, which was one of the key points that were, were providing an interesting insight just in terms of visualization and understanding of 
what uh, working with cryptocurrencies, what using uh, the Nakamoto terminal can actually provide. And one of the key areas, uh, one of the key parts that I was able to work on a twofold is actually on that sentiment uh, analysis clone where you overlaid uh, the current sentiment analysis, which I think is drawn on from the IBM uh, sentiment cluster onto uh, the volume price, just to provide an interesting outlook in terms of what actually is able to move, uh, not necessarily move the prices, but uh, to provide uh, an interesting insight into what sentiment actually has in terms of uh, what relation sentiment may have in terms of current volumes that exists. Um, an interesting thing that one will take from this is the fact that unlike majority of uh, currently prevailing assets, um, with, uh, for example, that, the two ones that I concentrated on being Bitcoin and Ethereum, yeah, currently existing uh, statistical measures don't necessarily uphold within the context of within the context of analysis of 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 these current of these of these of these cryptos. Therefore, my project was in this particular landscape. Um, coming from an African origin, the key interesting thing for me was. Um, looking at cryptocurrencies and also using Nakamoto Terminal, um, can we pretty much characterize uh, these assets? Can we pretty much characterize specifically Bitcoin and Ethereum, which are currently uh, toply traded uh, higher market cap cryptocurrencies? Can we characterize them as? Can we characterize them as assets? Um, and within this study, one of the key areas that I wanted to look at which was currently being used is um, the ease of execution or investment into these particular investments um, internal homogeneity how how closely the same are they which was done through a correlation matrix uh, pretty much pulling up stock market data uh, volume data uh, price data from nakamoto terminal using the nakamoto terminal query language sql to be able to to, to, to create this analysis. And understandably, one of the key findings was that there's a very strong correlation across the board, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, and across all these other currencies. So understandably meaning that for a retail investor, which was what was of most interest to me, a retail investor in an emerging market who don't necessarily have access to yield, when you're searching for yield, um, what could this tell you? And pretty much this pretty much infers to you um, that in possibility, having holding in one currency does ineffectively will have a certain impact on whatever other currency you're holding, given the, the strong correlation that we're, we're able to see between the two, uh, between the, the currencies. Over and effect from that as well, we have um, the expected utility. Um, uh, what can you expect uh, from holding this particular these particular assets, if we may term them that? Which was one of one of the most interesting areas. Now, how this ties into the study is that from this, what we did was we actually with Nick Gans from Nick, uh, Nakamoto Terminal, we we actually up, pulled up uh, a certain subset of data uh, specifically for Ethereum and Bitcoin because. They, like I mentioned previously, they are the most traded two currencies. And also Ethereum has a greater deal of uh, working capability in terms of smart contracts and how it can be used. And the expected utility component pretty much of it would be um, if I'm holding these particular assets, what, what can I 
expect in terms of return from them? Um, what does their price action movement look like? And to, to answer that question, we try to fit in a couple of distributions to the very price data. And we find that predominantly majority of the current prevailing uh, distributions that are assumed for most assets don't necessarily hold for that, which was a bit of an anomalous, well, an expected, but an anomalous, uh, anomalous take in that being assets, you would expect that um, they would at least be having a certain external heterogeneity, which is a similarity to certain other assets to give us comfort, um, which was what we found from that. So the, the overall study was pretty much to characterize um, from different assets, uh, uh, from different perspectives, um, cryptocurrencies with the aim of saying, can this be um, investable assets? Can this be assets? Do they fit certain uh, features that we could say actually uh, make them an investable asset pair? Now, in addition to this, using the very same market data, and then I, I taking out the component of stationarity, which is one hugely, um, uh, which, which is one hugely underestimated or underplayed factor in this. We ran an online uh, learning, uh, machine learning algorithm on the very same data to see whether or not what we would pretty much see uh, get from running from the present data from a portfolio perspective. And the, I mean, the results from this were, were pretty much um, inconclusive, if I may put it that way, in the sense that you could, in terms of returns, you could get a very high return. Uh, but however, you saw that the maximum drawdowns that we obtained from some of the asset pairs were, were such great that it would not make any feasible sense. So I think uh, the future work from this would be um, working with sentiment analysis, um, probably featuring in furthermore quantitative models to find out how best we could be able to characterize this to give comfort that in terms of investability for retail investors who don't necessarily have expertise knowledge from an emerging perspective, they can have um, an ease of access into the market. So in a, in a, in a nutshell, pretty much that was what uh, the project entailed. And it was pretty much tied into um, our overall understanding. So what do you think the your next step would be on something like that? What would you like to find at the end of the day? I think the key thing that um, I was able to draw from this is that in, in terms of the existence of, of, of the two sample sizes, that, uh, the two uh, cryptocurrencies I would say that I was looking at is that um, we need um, more use cases. Uh, how, I, how I can find this is this. In terms of just holding, uh, for this is for the unknowledgeable person, in terms of just holding the, the assets in themselves as they stand is a pretty murky environment to be in. However, in terms of the use cases, such as of smart contracts and stable coins at the back of that, then I think there might be a greater use case for that. So I think right now um, it's, it's a matter of continuing to build a modeled framework in terms of what actually can characterize these. Uh, so I guess a question for you, for both Ben and, and you, Metzah. Which languages did you mostly use to, um, to build your query? So I used um, um, the I used the I used the 
uh, Splunk uh, SQL query language, uh, as well as Python, as well as R as well for some of the data analysis. Um, pretty much used R when I was trying to fit in different various distributions to, to, to the data to see um, how the performance would be like. Ben, was it the same for you? Um, I mean, so mine was a lot more, my data sets were a lot smaller. So I was just writing queries in, in the Splunk okay. uh, terminal. So that's, S, that's it's SPL, I think. Uh, it's like a SPL, slight, deep, yes. slight variation from uh, traditional SQL queries. And then yeah. I did all my data analysis in Excel just because the data sets are a lot smaller. Um, you know, I only had like digits zero, zero through nine and then, you know, one value yeah. for each, for each. So, so let's pull back a little bit. So you've done this, uh, this, this, this blockchain driven research. What, what do you think is going on out there? What do you think, what are some of the impressions that you have as you're booking around and you're researching several you know, different aspects? Is this a, uh, is this the Wild West? Uh, is this an expanding field? You know, what's the next big I'll, thing? I'll go, I'll go first. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I think it's an expanding field. I think uh, one of the key areas is, is that you're being given an opportunity to actually poke around in the underworkings of, of, these, of these systems, if I may put it that way. Um, you're being given an opportunity to work on the building blocks. And I think as financial engineering students, nothing can be better than that because it's, given, it's provided us an avenue to see how, what solutions can we build. Um, and I think that's one of the greatest things I've been able to see from that is that um, at the back of poking through the blockchain, poking through um, sentiment analysis and some of the natural language processing, the statistical work, you're able to probably form an impression of what um, solutions we can we can um, we can bring on. And for one of one of the key ones for me is asset-backed stable coins, which are, which I believe will be the next big thing going forward. Great. Well, guys, thank you very much for your time. Um, I think this is quite interesting stuff that you've worked on. And uh, as you're graduating in May, I want to wish you all good luck and. Uh, um, and I think some of you are working over the summer and you're on some special projects. So the fun keeps on going here. Thank you very much for your time, guys. Thanks. Thank you.